Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th. Hosted by Kevin Hart, the seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. Ladies and gentlemen, it is showtime. Please welcome the team of the Fulhamish Podcast. Hello, it's the Fulhamish Podcast. Sammy here, and this today is a special episode about the life of George Cohen, MBE, who was announced today died sadly at the age of 83 by the club. George was one of Fulham's greatest players, a one-club man who made 459 appearances at right back between the years of 1956 and 1967. What there is no debate about is that George was the only man to ever win the World Cup whilst playing in the black and white of FFC. That was for Sir Alf Ramsey's winning England team in 1966, which means that the old adage still rings true. No England team has ever won the World Cup without a Fulham player in the side. Take note, Mr Southgate. In this episode, we'll remember the life both on and off the pitch of George, where he remained part of the Fulham family long after he hung up his boots. In part two of this podcast, we will briefly look ahead to Crystal Palace on Boxing Day with Jack Kelly, who was at Marco Silva's press conference today. But first, I want to welcome a man who has shared the company of the great George Cohen and wrote a beautiful tribute to him today on the Fulhamish website. Michael Heatley, thanks for jumping on the podcast. Hello, Sammy. Um, obviously, a very, very sad day. Thank you for coming on. And uh, also thank you for writing an article, Michael, that you can read now on the uh, the Fulhamish website all about uh, George Cohen's life. But we also wanted to try and paint the picture on the podcast as well of just how enormous he was uh, to our beloved football club. A one club man, the only man to wear black and white and win the World Cup at the same time. Um, his greatness, definitely in the terms of, uh, of FFC, can't be overstated. Well, that's quite right. I mean, I was um, living in, in Liverpool when, when we won the World Cup, so I didn't come down to, uh, to London for another year. And um, so obviously, George was my first experience of, of, of Fulham, you know, discovering who Fulham might be. And, um, you know, Johnny Haynes obviously had been um, an England stalwart, but he was in the previous World Cup. And the big thing about the 66 World Cup was not only that it was in this country, but also the fact it was on television. And... You know, television, it's hard to imagine now, but, you know, we got our first television a few months before the uh, the World Cup final. And, you know, we had the neighbours round, people who had no tellies were coming in to watch. And there was George, you know, vice captain of the team. And um, every time he was mentioned, it was Fulham's George Cohen. So, you know, while the maestro Johnny Haynes was probably... Well, he was the most gifted player probably Fulham have ever had, I suspect. But, uh, you know, George was the one who brought us onto the world stage. Yeah, and a gifted right back he was. Sir Ralph Ramsey called him uh, England's greatest ever right back. And I mean, I think that title still holds true. He's the only right back with a World Cup uh, winner's medal, only starting right back uh, at the very least. And um, you wrote in the article how uh, he was a a flying right back, one that definitely uh, used his pace in defending, not necessarily known for his attacking play, more for his defensive work. 
That's right. Although going back to the World Cup again, I think in the semi-final we just edged past Portugal, and he was in fact involved in the uh, the move that uh, got Bobby Charlton his winning goal. So uh, yes, I think history tends to suggest he wasn't such an attacking fullback, but I think uh, he's probably hard done by him in in that respect. I mean, we had another fullback called Jim Langley, who uh, I seem to recall was kind of slightly more um, uh, more attacking, but also had a, a very long throw, but. Uh, Certainly, George did what was asked of him. And also, um, he had a very good rapport with Alan Mullery because, um, you know, the two of them were bosom buddies and locals. And um, I think they had a little thing going that really I can't remember seeing um, similar since uh, until we had Steve Finnan and Bjarni Goldbeck. It was a similar kind of right-hand side uh, teamwork. I saw actually in the article that you wrote that you compared him to a certain Anthony Robinson. Well, yes. And of course, uh, we're all hoping that Anthony will stay with us and uh, dedicate himself to the club like uh, like George did, which, of course, in this day and age is asking a lot. And, um, you know, George was a one club man, but I have a, a hint that he might have fancied going to Tottenham because um, Alan Mullery went to Spurs and they were great mates. And I think, you know, Alan may have been whispering in his ear, uh, ear do you... Uh, do you fancy uh, coming with me? But, uh, you know, uh, no, I think um, those were the days when clubs had more of a say in, in what, you know, the player power wasn't what it is today. But uh, no, obviously, if Anthony can uh, can stay and clock up uh, anywhere near half as many games as George did, then we'll be very happy. It's surprising, looking back, that he didn't have more than 37 caps. Obviously, as a World Cup winner, you would expect him to be in the in the 100 club. Obviously, injury um, put pay to that. But George very much seemed to blossom at the very right time in terms of, of England. He was he was the man on the spot. Jimmy Arfield had, had come before him. Um, so, so it very much was a, a quick rise to prominence for George. And, you know, when you do something like win the World Cup, that is legendary status, football immortality. Well, that's right. And I think he was helped by Alf Ramsey because there are great parallels, I think, between Ramsey and Gareth Southgate in as much as he had a sort of a very um, pragmatic approach to the game. He um, he would basically say, it's your shirt to lose. And when uh, when George took over from Jimmy Armfield, who was very popular and uh, at one point an England captain, so he took over from somebody who was pretty celebrated against, you know, as typically happens, it was injury that gave him the chance. But I think, you know, he only missed three games in his England career thereafter. You know, it was uh, once he got the shirt, he, he hung on to it. Yeah. And, and, and his time at Fulham, um, he started and ended that spell in the second division, but much of George Cohen's time at the club was in the first division. Yes. And I think, well, that was, of course, the, the top flight then, wasn't it? That's the what we now call the Premier League. So, uh, yes. And I think obviously he needed to be there to have a shout for England. I think had he had he stayed in the second tier, that would have been uh, that would perhaps not have, have, have occurred. But it's interesting because he, he came through his rise to fame was very much a kind of Fabio Carvalho esque, um, you know, whoosh, because he played one game in, in his first season just as a replacement. But then the second season, he was um, a mainstay of the team that got to the FA Cup semi-final. And I don't know if you remember the um, the Busby Babes, who, the, the Manchester United team that uh, was decimated in the Munich air crash. Fulham came through to the semi-final that year and they played Manchester United. And it was a, a classic game. We lost 5-3. Five, uh, five, and uh, it's interesting that George 
cited that for my book, The Match of My Life. He cited a game that Fulham lost. So, you know, that tells you something about him. But obviously, he, like everybody in the country, had been uh, absolutely, um, you know, upset by by the Busby Babes in yeah. being being uh, decimated in the crash. Um, so obviously the country all all wanted Manchester United to win, and here was Fulham in the semi final. I mean, how often do we get to an FA Cup semi final? Not uh, not that often. But uh, the tide of um, the tide of public opinion was for United, and uh, they won. And um, of course, on the other side of the um, of the pitch was Bobby Charlton, who he went on to win the uh, the World Cup with. Yeah, and talk to us about meeting um, George. I think what was interesting today in all the tribute to George was seeing just how many people have actually come into contact and met George. And I think a lot of that is through George's work that he did, um, especially in the hospitality suites. And he was just a, he was someone that I've seen just walking around the cottage. He's obviously got his own, or he did have his own lounge in the Riverside before it was, uh, before it was remade. Um, he, he seemed like a very warm, very friendly man. Um, not that I've, I've met him, but yeah. What was it like when you, when you met George and did that match of my life, uh, with him? Well, it's hard to put into words. I mean, at the end of the day, he 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 was basically an unspoilt, genuine chap. And of course, you know, we we now think of footballers and we think of the Cristiano Ronaldo's of this world and people who just don't have the common touch. But uh, you know, he did, and it was interesting that um, you know, once when he when he came into the team, it was under a, a Scot called uh, Dougie Livingston, and uh, he was replaced by um, Bedford Jezzard. And it was a little bit like Chris Coleman coming to manage Fulham, because uh, Bed- Betty Jezzard had been a fo- uh, one of their teammates who became the boss. And you know, George was really a manager's dream, but because. He knew Betty as a, a teammate. He would um, sometimes have a little laugh with him, like he and Alan Mullery, uh, when the team was staying away at a hotel, went and uh, got a pair of uh, of the manager's wife fronts and hauled them up the top of the flag mast. You know, I mean, <laughs> I, I can I can see Chris Coleman having a laugh at that, but you know, a few of the managers we've uh, we've known wouldn't, would they? So, no. you know, I think uh, he was, he, you know, he wasn't without his sense of humour, and and you you obviously can't say that because he's a fullback, he didn't uh, he didn't have flair you know he, he was basically um you know a, a nice guy but uh, always with a twinkle in the eye definitely and there's been so many nice uh, stories um about george um today and just how, how genuine and warm i think he was whenever uh, people met him around the cottage now george's career was sadly curtailed by injury and uh, similar to our other legendary player at Fulham, Johnny Haynes, uh, he could have got a lot more uh, appearances for the club had that not uh, happened. And I'm sure uh, George would have got near had he not had that injury. Indeed. And I mean, I think uh, he was 29, wasn't he, when he when he retired, which is no age at all. And uh, yes, I think he, he would certainly have uh, have continued on. But uh, interestingly, he didn't fancy he did. He took um, Fulham's youth for a couple of seasons, but he didn't really fancy coaching. So he he slipped away from that point of view. But uh, obviously, as you say, it was nice that uh, in later years, he came back and sort of re-established a connection with the club. And, you know, no matter how we may feel Fulham has changed, certainly those of us old enough to remember the uh, good old days, uh, nostalgia tinged, um, you know, it is full credit to the club that they are involving um, past players and have kept uh, the lifelines going between uh, between them and us. And, uh, yeah, I would, uh, I would definitely applaud that. Yeah, one interesting um, thing about George Cohen after his uh, football days was... Um, the story of his World Cup winner's medal, because uh, if you want to see that, it is on display 
in the Fulham Trophy cabinet. There's plenty of room, isn't there? Let's fair. No, there's the Intertoto <laughs> Cup, isn't there? <laughs> the Intertoto, maybe like maybe last season's championship trophy, and then yeah, I guess um, oh, well. the World Cup winners' medal. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I'm not. I, I have to admit, I don't know the uh, the the full reason why why George parted with it. I mean, we all know that he had um, many health issues, didn't he? he? He managed to defeat cancer, which was great. Um, but you know, um, for whatever reason, he had to uh, sell it. As indeed many of the. Uh, the World Cup winners have and um, it was really good that uh, Mohamed Al-Fayed bought it back and um, I'm sure that George appreciated that in fact uh, just sort of having a, a look around the net before we talked um, can you guess how many of the uh, the England World Cup winning team are still alive oh, any idea well I think I saw the number today but I didn't fully take it in I, I, is it four it's two if you can believe it Jeff Hurst and where are we? It's Bobby Charlton, of course. Bobby Charlton and and Hurst, but uh, yes, I know Charlton is obviously um, he has, I think, um, some kind of Alzheimer's. So uh, yeah, unfortunately, I believe. Yeah, um, very very sad. Yeah, the one thing, just great thing. The one great thing that I did not know before today, um, Ben Cohen uh, made the Cohen family double World Cup winners. Uh, he won the Rugby Union World Cup with England back in 2003, the famous uh, Johnny Wilkinson drop goal against Australia. I mean, I, I haven't done my research here, but there cannot be many families who have won uh, World Cups in uh, England's two biggest sports. Yes, um, and, and I know it's, he went into uh, print at the time as saying how proud he was, as indeed you uh you would be. I mean, I don't know. Uh, I don't know if Ben ever had football training. Whether there was ever a chance that he might, uh, Uncle George, might have persuaded him to uh, come to the cottage and play with the round ball. But uh, obviously, he didn't do too badly with the uh, the egg shaped one. No. Well, it sounds like uh, from uh, from what you wrote that uh, George was uh, known for sometimes hitting balls high and uh, over into the Thames. So maybe Ben <laughs> did actually take after his old man in uh, in in that respect. Um, <laughs> George was rightly given that statue, um, maybe a bit later than, than it, than it should have been. And, um, he probably shouldn't come after an international pop star, um, to get his statue, but, uh, rightly so just as, uh, Shade Khan, uh, took ownership of the club, the George Cohen statue, uh, took pride of place, uh, in that same spot next, uh, in between the Riverside stands and the, uh, and the Hammersmith end, just in terms of the the pantheon of Fulham greats, George Cohen, for me, it, it is George Cohen and, and Johnny Haynes. And, and they are the two that are right up there and always will be. They're obviously incredible players, um, you know, before and since they've played for our club. And let's not forget Tosh Chamberlain, who passed away uh, not too long ago either. But really, it is George and Johnny who are on that kind of platform uh, above everyone else that's played for this team. Well, yes, I mean, I, I have to. And I think one of the reasons is that they, they were one club men. They were Fulham and England, and you know, basically, when you, uh, you know, a player of that uh, era was Alan Clark, who was a great player, and uh, anybody who saw him is still, um, you know, mesmerised by his skills. But he did go on to play for Leeds in England, and and that tended to, you know, distance him from from Fulham, and obviously players will be associated with the club they had the most successful, but uh, and with Tosh. I mean, you're talking about Tosh. Um, Johnny and, and George, I mean, they're all one club men. And, uh, you know, uh, he was a local lad, George. He could have gone to Chelsea, but uh, he was advised by uh, his 
one of his school coaches that he'd get a better chance at Fulham. And, you know, <laughs> without that fellow's advice, goodness knows we wouldn't be talking about him now, would we? No, we wouldn't indeed. Um, a, a great man and um, uh, going to be much missed um, at, uh, at Craven Cottage. Um, it's been announced that uh, there'll be tributes across all Premier League games uh, that are taking place uh, on uh, on Boxing Day, the 27th and 28th, um, in uh, in memory of, of George Cohen. Uh, players and match officials are going to wear black armbands. There's going to be a moment's applause prior to kickoff. You'd imagine uh, there will be uh, big tributes in Fulham's uh, first game back at Craven Cottage, uh, which is against Southampton on uh, on New Year's Eve. But Michael, thank you for chatting because um, I, I think there's a lot of people like myself who were nowhere near watching um, George Cohen and don't know an awful lot about him. But uh, I think it's important that uh, such a great man is uh, is honoured by the club and by the fan base. Well, one last thought, Sammy. Wouldn't it be wonderful if when the uh, the new Riverside stand is fully decked out that we had uh, one stand named after Johnny and one stand named after George? Yes, I was going to come on to that. I don't know how uh, feasible or practical that is, but in my mind, it would be uh, a beautiful tribute to have uh, Johnny and George's stands opposite from each other. And especially with the uh, the new Riverside stand being such a stunning stand um, as well, I think that would personally be uh, a fitting tribute as well. Michael, thank you for giving up your time so close to Christmas and uh, have a very good Christmas. And you, Sammy. You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with the fall guy. Let's do it later. Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes. Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Because nope. I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. Part two of the Fulhamish podcast. Sammy here, back with Jack Kelly, looking ahead to Monday's Boxing Day game against Crystal Palace at Selhurst Park. The first time that we've seen Fulham play since the World Cup. Uh, They weren't in midweek Carabao Cup action. So this is our first glimpse of Fulham in competitive action. It's also the first time that Crystal Palace have played a competitive game since the World Cup, as they had also been knocked out early by Crystal Palace. Um, It's an interesting game, Jack. Hello, by the way. Hello, how are you? Yeah, good, thank you. Um, Because, obviously, everything that's gone on with the World Cup, but uh, it's a crucial time for Fulham in the league. Uh, Three, you'd argue, winnable games coming up. We're in a kind of tentative position in the league where we are... Our heads are very much above water, but they need to stay there. Um, Palace have been on a bit of a iffy run as well. Um, you were at the press conference today. Let's start with that, that Marco Silva did. And um, some bad news, really. Um, it looks like uh, we've got a couple of important doubts uh, for the game on Boxing Day. Yeah, um, obviously this ongoing foot issue from Alexander Mitrovic is... Um, quite worrying. I think you can understand it from a Serbia point of view. The fact he uh, basically wanted to play in the World Cup, probably maybe his last chance to play at a World Cup, not too sure, perhaps not, we never know. But um fact of the matter is he, he missed the last two games for us in order to sort of be okay for that World Cup. He played in all three games and now has come back again with that foot issue. Um I don't see it being a long-term issue, but but for games that are coming up, like you said, winnable games against Palace and Southampton and Leicester, you would want him in that team. 
Um, and Vinicius, who did really well against West Ham, to be fair, can he fill that void? It's obviously a big miss for us. And it's frustrating because that's now going to be, you know, two, three, four, maybe even five consecutive games without Mitrovic and uh, without his goals and his presence, which has obviously contributed us into us being so good this season. Uh, so that's a huge worry. And the other one, Anthony Robinson as well. Um, he's, he did get an injury against um, Netherlands, but he sort of played on, I seem to remember. He he landed awkwardly and, and played on. They were subsequently went out. And maybe it's just a follow-on from that. Maybe it's uh, an issue that's been going on since that round of 16 game. Didn't feature against West Ham. And obviously, with uh, no live Kazoa as well, Tim Ream slot, slotted into left-back against West Ham and did very, very well. That might just have to be the case again at Sellers Park. Yeah, um, I mean, my only hope with this, Jack, is that if I were Marco Silva, and you always want to keep your opposition guessing as to exactly what you're going to do, you don't want to um, show your hand. And because we've had the World Cup, no one really knows the fitness of Mitrovic and Robinson. I'm not denying that they have injuries, but whether they were fit or not fit, if I were Marcus Silva, I would also maybe play down their chances of playing so that Palace are guessing as to whether it's going to be Ream at left back, whether it's going to be Mitrovic or Vinicius up front. That makes more headaches for Patrick Vieira if he doesn't exactly know who's going to play against him. That's, I'm, I'm massively um, clutching at straws maybe is the right expression here, but I feel like there's a chance that could be the case. Marco Silva definitely likes to keep opposition managers on their toes. I guess all managers do in mm. a way. Yeah, and the fact, you're right, the fact we've had a hiatus will make it a, a harder guessing game for the opposition manager. Um, look, there could be truth in this. It might be a bluff. You, you just never know. Um, we'll, we will see on Boxing Day. And um, if it's 2pm and Mitrovic and Robinson are on the team sheet, then we've played a blinder. Uh, but obviously before the game, uh, whether that will come to fruition on the pitch, we we shall see. But hopefully they do feature in some capacity. Maybe they're on the bench. Maybe um, maybe they start. But is Marco Silva playing a bluffing game here? Who knows? I saw some of Vieira's comments that Yalki Manderson's going to be back. Jordan Ayew's going to be back for uh, the game against Fulham. Again, he could be playing games. He could, because obviously they've got no Mark Gahey. Uh, that's definite. He's suspended. Mm. Um, so they'll, they'll need the likes of Yalki Manderson at the back to, to have a steady back two in the back four um, as centre-back. So we shall see. It's all a guessing game. But from from what we've heard, it doesn't look good uh, on the Fulham side of things. No, uh, we'll hope it's a bluff. But as you say, at the moment, if you have to take Marco at his word, it is not great news uh, for Boxing Day. He also talked about uh, Mana Solomon, uh, I believe. Yeah, he said that Solomon had a setback um, from his recovery um, which wasn't to do with the knee, apparently. He didn't actually specify what it was, but that's the reason he didn't feature against West Ham. We saw on his Instagram and social media during the World Cup, he was back in Portugal running and, and looking fit. He did the interview with the club um, saying he's ready. So maybe that's one to, to look out for. Um, he, I think he then also said that he could feature against Crystal Palace. It was just that setback that, that left him out of the game against West Ham. Well, that'll be a huge um, moment uh, if we do get Man of Solomon, almost like a new signing, really, um, as and when he does come back. And it seems like that must be imminent within the month. Um, 
Jack, as part of your work, uh, sometimes you go and see some other London teams. Uh, I know that you've seen Crystal Palace a couple of times uh, this year. What have you made of Palace? For me, always feels like a bit of a bogey ground going to uh, Selhurst Park, other than that famous time uh, where we won 4-1. But difficult place to go, quite a good home record as well, and some real threats up front. Um, Zaha and Eze. You know, we don't we don't need to say too much about them that uh, people won't already know. They they are very very good players. Zaha and Eze, obviously the main threats, um, but Elise as well, fantastic player. And because they interchange uh, on the wide areas, it's very hard to track them and know where they're going. They always sort of float about in the final third. Edward up front has contributed, um, scored a few goals this season. You look at the defensive midfield. Um, obviously, they had Conor Gallagher last season. They had to fill the void of, of Gallagher. And they've, I think they've done that quite well with the likes of Elise and Eze have really stepped up this season. Um, Ducore, the new signing, he's been fantastic. Milivojevic has played a bit part role. I know he was linked with Fulham in the summer. Uh, and the defence, Mark Gahey, uh, obviously brilliant. He's suspended, like I mentioned earlier. Yalki Manson's been fantastic. And their home form's really good, Crystal Palace. Their home form is very good. Um, I think all the home games they've won this season, they've come from behind to win. Uh, I seem to remember they're doing it against Wolves. I was there. Um, they did it against Aston Villa. Uh, they lot, I think the only game they've lost at home this season is to Chelsea. And that was in the last minute to guess who? Conor Gallagher scored the winner. And I really like Vieira as a manager. He comes across really well, um, exuberant. And um, I really enjoy listening to him talk in, in post-match press conferences and pre-match press conferences. And yeah, I'm wary of Palace's threats. And I think everyone is, they're, they're beatable because they do concede goals, but also at home, that home support, say what you like about the home support. I think it's fantastic. I think it really does spur them on. It gives them that sort of 12th man. Um, I am wary of Palace. And that is why, um, that's why Monday is such a big game. Yeah. Um, what would you say uh, Palace is like for a visiting supporter that maybe hasn't done uh, Palace before? Uh, they famously have an awful view um, mm. in that stand. I always enjoy whenever you cover them as a journalist and uh, we have that uh, horrendous view <laughs> where you basically can't see anything. It's like looking for a letterbox. Um, so yeah, what would, uh, what would you say to anyone that's maybe heading to Palace for the first time? Well, train strikes haven't made it very easy, but um, it, it, it's a bit of an odd ground to get to um, if you're coming in from London as an away supporter. Obviously, we're from London, so it is an Oyster card away. Um, you can get to sell us. But the ground itself, it's not the prettiest, but it certainly is old school and has an atmosphere. Um, they have the ultra section in the main Homestead end. Um, but from where the Fulham fans will be situated, you might not be able to hear that as well as you might think. Um given we'll probably make some noise. <laughs> You'd hope. Um, it's quite a tight-knit away end. Um, and if you're at the back, the view is not very good at all. Um, that's why I've booked this season down at the front, so you actually get a f- full view of the pitch. Um, but yeah, it's a, it's a it's an okay ground. I quite like going there because I think it's a good atmosphere and it's nice for a night, a night game. Um, but I think it will be a very... Good atmosphere with their first game back. Obviously, London Derby, technically it is. So I'm sure it'll be very enjoyable for, for an away supporter going there for the first time. 
Right, well, that'll uh, do for the Palace preview today. Obviously, the main focus of this episode was uh, all about uh, the news, uh, the sad news of, uh, of George Cohen's passing at 83. So thank you very much to Michael Heatley uh, for, for giving up his time uh, to chat his memories of, uh, of George Cohen. And no doubt there'll be plenty more tributes uh, in the days to come. Uh, and Jack Kelly, thank you very much for, for your time for that, uh, that quick little Palace insight. Thank you very much. Have a lovely Christmas, guys. Yes, Merry Christmas uh, to you all. Thank you so much uh, for uh, for listening and um, really hope uh, you enjoy the holidays, uh, however you celebrate, whether you celebrate or not. Um, and we will be back on Tuesday, 27th. Let's stop talking in days. No one knows the days between Christmas and New Year. Tuesday the 27th, uh, we'll be back uh, reviewing uh, the Crystal Palace game and looking ahead to the Southampton game. Uh, apologies uh, for a slight change in the podcast schedule uh, this week. The the aforementioned quiz um, died a small death uh, due to logistics. Um, but anyway, uh, given the news today, uh, I think that um, it was much more important that we, uh, that we reflected that news uh, about George anyway. Uh, and then uh, yeah that'll be when the podcast is dropping Uh, Jack there's a new Jack and Joe show on the YouTube channel as well that people can check out if they want a bit of a palace preview and uh, some January rumours as well lots of January rumours discussed yeah no if I could just quickly say um, we are really really close to hitting 5k subscribers uh, 5,000 it's something that me and Joe have been wanting to do for quite a while and it's been quite slow progress so we only need just less than 180 subscribers now so if you are not subscribed Um, please click the subscribe button. We'd really appreciate it. And uh, to get to 5K would be something that we would uh, really love. Yeah, definitely. I I echo that. The YouTube channel, uh, definitely uh, worth a love. There'll also be some um, uh, reaction uh, straight after the Palace game as well. Our uh, our quick take, which we do after every uh, league game, uh, will resume after Palace as well. But as I mentioned, Merry Christmas if you celebrate. Uh, If not, uh, have a wonderful day anyway. And we will see you post-Palace. Come on, you whites. (laughs) 